Hey, what's up? This is Jason from Centerpoint Church in Hendersonville, Tennessee. We're so excited to spend some time with you today. We hope that this message inspires you and makes you continue living life on purpose and for a purpose. Let's jump right into the message. I want to welcome everybody who's joining online. We are continuing our series, Welcome to Fabulous Corinth. If you have a Bible, now's the time where you're going to want to turn. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is where we are going to start, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And I just want to recap where we've been so that you can be reminded. If it's your first time here, I'll just catch you up to speed. So we've been doing an in-depth study of 1 Corinthians. Some messages are important because they, they, they hit you in an emotional spot. Some of them, they kind of like challenge you in a way to grow. Some of them, it's to just support you. And sometimes it's just a good old-fashioned Bible study. And I think that God can do all of those other things wrapped up in elevating Scripture. So that's what we've been doing on this series, Welcome to Fabulous Corinth. We've been going through 1 Corinthians. And what we discussed as, as a community is we discussed a couple key issues that Paul saw in the church of Corinthians. I started this service off by telling you that a friend of mine who's a preacher actually calls it first and second Californians, because that may give you a better idea of what the church of Corinth was going through. But essentially what they were fighting is the same thing I think the church is fighting today here in the Western culture anyway, is you had a church in the middle of a city that did not elevate biblical principles, and instead of them influencing the city, they allowed the influence of the city to creep in through the cinder blocks, through the drywall, and next thing they know, not only did they accept that, apart, that, that type of lifestyle, but it became a part of how they were living. And so that's what we're talking about. Paul addresses a few issues in week one, we talked about disunity in the church, and we talked about issue number two, which was a lack of spiritual maturity. It was full of people who had been walking with God for a long time, but they were still spiritual infants. Two weeks ago, we talked about issue number three, which was food sacrifice to idols, which on the surface doesn't seem like it is very applicable to the local church today, but it absolutely is. It was talking about Christian liberties. Just because you have the liberty to do something does that mean you should? And is it good for church edification because your decisions impact the community? And this week, we're talking about issue number four, which is imbalance. Imbalance. Paul is addressing imbalance. In fact, this is the one that he addresses for most of 1 Corinthians. You're going to see chapter 5, and it's going to go all the way to 15. I mean, he goes through all the way to 14. He goes, he goes through this a lot, and it's imbalance in the church. If you look at the word imbalance, when you see I am the prefix, that's going to tell you that whatever is following it is not true. And so it's saying that they were imbalanced is out of balance. What is balance? When things are lined up, when they're proportioned right in a mathematical equation, it means that it is equal, that it is working, that it is congruent. And the church of Corinth was way out of balance in a lot of things. See, we as humans, we are designed to have balance in our lives. Now, now Paul's talking about their spiritual diet, but our physical diet, we have to have balance in what we eat. Unfortunately, our bodies were designed to require fruits and vegetables. I wish it wasn't so, but it is. 
And you require those nutrients in order for you to be healthy. When I was in college, I did some stupid stuff. Now, before you laugh, you did stupid stuff in college too. And if you didn't go to college, you did some stupid stuff when you were college age. Why are you laughing? One of the dumbest things I ever did in college was I took a challenge, a food challenge. And we decided that if you were going to live in the bottom level of this one particular dorm room, it was below ground. We called it the dungeon. It smelled terrible because it was below ground and it was all college dudes that lived there. And it was in Reading, which is like 125 degrees outside in August, no joke. So just imagine what that would smell like. And if you wanted to live in the dungeon, you had to pass a certain test within the first semester. Now, what kind of test do you ask? Well, it was, it was a food test. And uh, there's this place, it's this amazing Mecca in California called In-N-Out Burger. Now, now if you've never been to In-N-Out Burger, you need to. It's amazing. Jeremy said it was overrated. Jeremy, you're deflocked. Leave the church, please. Because In-N-Out Burger is unbelievable, and it even has John 3.16 down at the bottom of their cups. So it's kind of like Chick-fil-A, but it's like Jesus Burgers, all right? And, and we decided if you wanted to live in this particular level of the dorm room, you had to do what we called the 10 by 10 challenge, which means in one sitting, you had to eat a burger with 10 patties, 10 slices of cheese, fries, and a large Coke. And if you couldn't, then you had to make the challenge that you were going to eat nothing but 10 burgers for 10 meals in a row. And so you couldn't have anything else. You had to have 10 meals in a row of 10 burgers, single patty with fries and a Coke. And so I decided, because I'm a man, that I'm going to eat the 10 by 10 right off the bat with the large fry and the large Coke. And I'm here to tell you today, I did that no problem. <laughs> the problem came a few days later with my digestive system. That was the problem. Now, I know what you're thinking. Full disclosure, this is going to be TMI, but whatever. I got a microphone. <laughs> it wasn't that it was in a hurry to get out of my body. It was actually the opposite. That food took its time getting out of my body. You want to know how long? You guys are disgusting. I don't know how long, but it was a lot. Then the guys that said, hey, I'm going to take 10 meals in a row, and that's what I'm going to do, they had worse problems. I'm talking about like chest pain. I'm talking about like some major digestive problems. I'm talking about like ulcers, like just bad stuff. Why? Because your body isn't designed to eat a burger, fries, and a Coke for 10 meals in a row. You got to have nutrients. You got to have development. Now, did I survive? Clearly, I survived, but it wasn't my best physical health. And the same thing is true in the church and in your spiritual life. If you are out of balance one way or the other, can you still make it? Absolutely. It's not a question of salvation. But I would venture to say that you can't grow into a spiritually healthy person if your spiritual life is out of balance. And that is what Paul is addressing in issue number four. Now, the church of Corinth was out of balance in two different ways. We should have these up on the screen, and we're going to break these down as our time, during our time today. Number one, they were imbalanced or out of balance in their acceptance of behavior in the church. And then number two, their behavior during worship. Now, worship, I mean the entire church context, the whole service. So let's talk about this. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 
And here we go. Listen, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even the pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. And then verse number two is important. Underline this. And you are so proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have to put out your fellowship, the man who has been doing this? Now, let's just pause for a moment. Paul is telling them there is sexual immorality among you. Now, the word of the Greek is pornea. You may recognize the first four letters of that word, pornea. And pornea is sexual immorality. And it covers a variety of different type of sexually deviant behavior. And Paul is saying, this is in existence in your congregation. But then the key to it, because he brings up, there's a man sleeping with his stepmom. And even the pagans think that this is disgusting. The Roman Empire, Cicero, actually outlawed it because in the Greek culture and even in royalty, there was a lot of incestual relationships and they saw the physical deformities that were coming out of it. And so they, they banned it. And so he's saying, even the, even the pagans aren't okay with this behavior. And then the phrase that really sticks out to me, church, and this is something that, that we need to have on our radar, is he says, and you are so proud. See, what happened in the church of Corinth is that they had become proud of how tolerant they were. Tolerant of sin. And Paul is saying, how dare you puff up your chest and say, look what we allow in here. We are so tolerant. Can I tell you that Jesus was never tolerant of sin? So what does that look like, though? How do we reach people and love them, but then also not accept where they are? I, I, I think about when Jesus approached the woman who was about to get stoned and she was caught in adultery and the Pharisees were about to throw rocks at her and kill her. And, and, and he said, where, woman, where are your accusers? And he says, I am not here to condemn you either. But then here's the key. Are you ready? He says, go and sin no more. What the church of Corinth did is, is they were afraid to call sin, sin, because they were so proud of how tolerant they had become. And, and I don't know if being tolerant of sexual immorality is something to be proud of. I don't know if that speaks well for you. It would be like if you went to the doctor and the doctor saw a little spot in your stomach that may or may not be cancer, but because he wanted you to like him, he didn't want to tell you, and he told you it was something different than something that could kill you. That's what we do. Here's the biggest problem with tolerance, church, is I would imagine that anybody, even if they're out of the church, would agree that every generation that goes by, the United States becomes a little looser with their morals. There's, there's literally things in Disney cartoons now that I'm having to explain to my children. And I think even five years ago, that would have been crazy. 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Imagine what's on network TV now. Imagine what your children are going to face in 20 or 30 years. Here's the problem with tolerance. Is that God clearly puts the line down as to what is moral, what is okay, what is in the will of God, and what is pornea, what is outside of the will of God. And as soon as man takes that line away and decides where the line of tolerance is going to be, now it's going to be man who's setting the line back down because you already took the authority away from God. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I'm scared to see if we take the line away as a church and the authority from God 
to see where it ends up, and it's a moving target with the ebb and flow of what's popular in culture. So now let's hear what he says, because, because it's, a, it's a fine line between how do we love the world and love people, but then hate their sin or not allow that to happen. What does that look like? Because Jesus told us to be in the world, but not be of the world. And that's tough. Here we are. I want you to hear this. This is, uh, we're going to bump up to 9, verse 9. I wrote in my letter, so he's, this is 1 Corinthians, but we talked about in week one, this is actually a second letter to Corinth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In case, if that's the case, you would have to leave the world. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a, here's the secret, a brother or a sister, but is sexually immoral, greedy, idolater, slanderer, drunkard, or swindler. So there's the secret. Paul is saying, I am not telling you to judge the people in the world. He says it right here at the end, verse 12. What business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? Are you not to judge those inside? So there's the answer, is we're not supposed to, as a body of believers, start judging people who aren't in the church. When I was a youth pastor, we would have students come over to our, our student building who were unchurched, and they would bring their unchurched habits with them, and it would make our church kids freak out. And they're like, oh no, that person cursed. They're here at church. And I'm like, I get it. That's not okay, but you can't act, act, expect the lost to act saved. We've got to teach them. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, in the church is what I'm telling you to watch for. He said, the church should go into mourning. Why? Because you're now going to have to ask that person to leave. Because there's no place for sexual immorality in the church, pornea. It wasn't just sexual immorality that was out of balance as far as the behaviors. We had divorce running rampant in the church. We have people who would go into a marriage until they were unhappy and then they would leave. And the reason is, is because it was based upon their happiness rather than a commitment made before God. You also had litigation. You had Christians suing other Christians. And again, we've talked about this in the series, but Paul's biggest concern was the church is going to lose its witness to the world if somebody comes into church for the first time and while they're here, they see sexual immorality going on. They see all of us fighting and suing each other and saying, this is the type of worship I like. No, this is the type of worship I like. Why would they want anything to do with this place if it's a reflection of the worst parts of the world? We've got to stay in balance. Now, let's have a little fun because I feel like it's a little heavy at this moment. As some of you are like, I am not looking around at anybody because we're talking about sex and this is so awkward. So let's have a little bit of fun. And, and uh, let's see. Oh, that, yeah, let's have some. They don't even know I'm doing this. Let's go uh, Mark and Clay. Would you guys come up to the stage, please? Come on. Come on. Now, as these gentlemen who both could easily beat me up are coming up here, <laughs> week one of Welcome to Fabulous Corinth, we talked about, it was called a box of chocolates. Y'all can just stand right over there. Yep, you're going to be on that balance beam in just a second. <laughs> so 
first one was called a box of chocolates because they had a ton of issues. When you walked in to the church of Corinth at this time, you never knew what you were going to get. And the second week was called life in preschool because they were spiritually immature and they were talking all about just issues within the church and nobody was developing spiritually. They were all still infants. So this week is week three and it's called life on the balance beam. Life on the balance beam. You look so mad at me, Mark. He's sitting there going, I, I bought this guy's lunch two weeks ago. He took me to a place called Top Hog in Gallatin. It was really good. But it's an experience. All right, Clay, never turn your back to the audience. Put your good face forward. Trust me. Come stand over here. You just turned your back to the audience. You think that's your good face? Oh, geez. All right. So, <laughs> I should not have said that. All right, so here's what I want you to do. We're going to test how well you can walk this balance beam. And just so you know, I did put it like five inches like off the ground just in case there's a mishap. Please make sure we get a picture because I want this to be the tile on YouTube. All right, so who's going to go first? All right, he pointed to you. So walk across. Cheer him on, church. Come on. Good. Clay, your turn. This is what the church has to be careful of, because now we're about to enter into the second part of being imbalanced, which is behavior in worship, which is how to run a church service. And this is why we've got to be important. This is why it's important. So what we're about to approach is a relatively controversial topic, is gifts of the Spirit, what's appropriate, what's inappropriate. And I'm not going to give you my opinion, because who cares what I think? I'm going to give you the Word of God and let you study it and determine what you think. But this is what we've got to be careful of, because if we are not intentional, like we'll get moved over to one side or the other without even realizing it. It's like when you're out in the ocean and you're, you're playing out in the waves and you see your umbrella and your towel, and then you just keep playing. And then what eventually happens is, is before you know it, like your area is way over there and you're like, what happened? That's just kind of what the world does. So we have to be very intentional and careful to be on this balance beam, to be balanced with what we do because religion can get you out of whack. So the second, the second and final thing they were imbalanced in is their behavior in worship. Now, before we really dive into this, I want you to understand this. The Word of God is all about context, context, context. If you just read Scripture and you just read read it for what it is, I think I can speak through it, but I think you are in danger of misinterpreting it if you don't actually put in the time to understand. We talk about the word hermeneutics, which is a super fancy seminary word for author, audience, and author's intent. And that's what you have to read Scripture through those lenses. It's easier than ever now because of the Internet. You can literally Google commentary and start reading it. And so with behavior during worship, on the surface, it can come across as if, A, the Holy Spirit is dead, and B, as if it's Paul's pretty chauvinistic because he talks a lot about women and their behavior in the church. If you just take it at surface level, it will come across that way. Context, context, context. Now, you have to understand this, that Paul is writing to Corinth, that's in the Greco-Roman Empire. 
your church most of the time is an ecclesia. And an ecclesia is a church that would happen in a public setting. It would be a forum. It would be out in public. So you have non-churched people standing around watching behavior, watching. And, and they weren't listening, but they were watching. And the other thing that's important is to understand that a lot of times in, in chapter 11 and 12 of 1 Corinthians, there are no, it's what it is. The, re, the way that Paul writes it, it's no exception, is he writes what is called a chiastic structure chiastic structure. And it actually comes from chiasmos, which is the letter X in Greek. So I want you to imagine he writes in a letter X. Now this shows that Paul was incredibly educated because this was talented stuff. So he's not just writing down to his pen pal and just kind of has, you know, misspellings and typos and just kind of thinks about what he's going to write on the fly and, and mails it, you know, via the Pony Express. Like he, this is, this is some, some high-end writing to show that he's been trained, that he's smart, that he knows what he's doing. And that chiastic structure, which is an X, he would write in the A, B, C, C, B, A. And he would do that with two different books of the, the two different chapters that would work in a perfect X. Now, why would they write that? Because Paul is being incredibly intentional about what the centerpiece of that entire scripture is. This is how Paul writes. Look at most of his letters. They're this way. You could even say that he wants to show what the center point That's elite level, achievement unlocked, is the middle spot is what he wants to show all of the attention to. So I'm writing everything to this point, and then I'm going to back out of it so that you still remember this. It's kind of the opposite of a movie. Like, imagine if the villain died and the hero kissed the princess in the middle of the movie, and then they just kind of crept backwards. Like, that would be lame, right? But that's the way that the Word of God is written because, again, he wants to have a focal point. This is what it is. And the focal point of chapter 11 and chapter 12 is the worship of God. So when he's talking about behavior and worship, and we're about to talk about it, the whole point of it is worship is designed to bring the attention and the glory to God. And if there's anything that prevents that from happening, it is not of God. It is out of balance. And that's what Paul is addressing. And he addresses it with two particular issues. He, he talks about a litany of them, but, but I want to talk about two particular ones. One is hair, which is kind of a weird thing, right? Some of you don't have to worry about it, <laughs> is hair. And the other one is gifts of the Spirit, spiritual gifts. So we're going to talk about it in that order. So I want you to look at chapter 11 now, verse 13. And Paul writes pretty much all of chapter 11 about, about women in particular and how they wear or cover their hair in an ecclesia, which on the surface is weird. It sounds incredibly chauvinistic. Context, context, context. Verse 13, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But if, that, but if a woman has long hair, is it for her glory? For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. That's kind of Paul saying, like, I'm not going to waste my time arguing with you with this. Like, if you want to be contentious, then move along. There's a great church down the street. But it's all about Context, context, context. 
In the context of the Greco-Roman culture, respectable women who were married covered their hair. My wife and I went on a missions trip to Romania a few years ago, and even now, culturally, they had her cover her hair when she was in a church service because uncovered means you're not married, which means in a church setting, in the Greco-Roman culture, it means you're single and ready to mingle. You're available. And so again, can a woman have her hair uncovered? Yes, but Paul's saying that if you do, the men of the church are going to act like a dog in heat and they're going to see a woman who's available and they're going to be distracted from what is the center point. What is the X? What is it? It is the worship of God, is the attention of God. So at the surface, like it feels like that's a weird thing to talk about. But I want to make sure we spend time on that because when you go back through and read 1 Corinthians on your own and study it this week, which I highly encourage you to do, I wanted you to be equipped to understand that. It, gets, it goes even further. So he talks about a, a long hair for a woman is her glory in verse 15. Now that's weird. Why on earth would long hair be glory, like glorious? Well, remember in week one, we talked about the temple of Aphrodite that had a thousand priestesses that were really just professional prostitutes that would come down at the hill at night, and that's how they would make money to keep the temple up. Guess what their, the, the marker was that they were a prostitute and that they were sexually available? It was they had short hair. And so Paul is saying, if you come to this ecclesia, which is not a home group, it's a church in a public forum, and you have women who are uncovered, or have short hair, what's going to happen is it's going to take the attention off of the whole purpose of this, which is to glorify God. Now, it then talks about men, and that long hair is a disgrace to him. Now, Corey, chill. You can grow your hair out. But culturally, if in the Greco-Roman culture, if you go back and look at Greeks and Romans, you'll see a lot of them, they had that like Caesar cut where they had the dumb and dumber bangs going all the way across. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. That's probably good. It's because if men had long hair, what it did is it showed that there was sexual ambiguity there. And so again, what happens is you are distracting from what's going on in the church and what the point is, what the center of that is. That chiastic structure is the worship of God. How does this apply to the modern church? I think it applies with maybe a few things. Maybe how we dress. Now, I'm not saying that like this is a church where we have to wear three-piece suits. I mean, our guitar player, Josh, you were wearing Crocs on stage. So, I mean, clearly you have fashion choices that are questionable. But besides that... <laughs> <laughs> if they give those out to you in jail, you anyway. <laughs> but what I mean is this, is how you dress, what is the purpose of it, and will it distract people from what the point of this whole thing is, which is to worship God. Now, unfortunately, that tends to trend female because men are Cro-Magdon men that have, that, that, that have difficult time averting their eyes. But I think it's worth considering is what we are wearing, is it distracting from the whole purpose of us being here? I also think that churches have to be careful to have a balance of what goes on in the service. 
Now, I'm okay with hazers and lights, and I, I have no problem with any of those, but I do think there's a fine line between is it distracting what the purpose is, and the center of that chiastic structure is the worship and adoration of God. And so I think that's very much how we can apply it. And so Paul is saying, this is an issue. You'll also see in there that he talks about women prophesying out loud. And it's not a matter of that women were unable to prophesy, but it was a matter of for the ecclesia, which is the church in public, it was against Roman law for women to speak out loud in a public forum. And so Paul's saying, women, even though you can do this, I'm asking you not to in an ecclesia because it is not of benefit because the people outside that are watching the church are going to see you breaking the law, and that's going to make you lose your witness. So just because you can do that, I'm asking you not to in the public forum because it's against the law, and it's going to distract people from the purpose of all of this. This stuff's super interesting to me. I hope it is to you. We're almost done with our time today. The last one, I want to talk about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. Now, I knew that this was going to be a hot topic, and I think Paul even knew it, because he, he starts off the previous chapter by, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this. And so I think it's his way, one, one other phrase says, uninformed. And so I think that this is his way of saying, it's uh, verse 1 of chapter 12, by the way, it's his way of saying like, hey, this is a spot that's going to be a little contentious, so I'm telling you this because I want you to be aware of this. Now, keep in mind the church of Corinth was way out of balance, and he's writing this to bring balance to it. Here we are, chapter 12, verse 7. Now, to each one of the manifestations of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing that, uh, by that of one Spirit. Keep in mind as we're reading all of this, how many times Paul uses the word same or one. His purpose is to tell them all of the di different spiritual gifts have one purpose. One purpose only. These are, and, and after this is when he's going to go on his rant about where all the different body, parts of the body of Christ and that we each have a function. So keep that in mind. Verse 9, to another by faith the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, and this, is, this part's the key. So underline this, circle it. All of these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he, meaning God, distributes them to each one just as he determines. Let's break that down for a second. So there's two different views here. There's two different areas of the balance beam that are out of balance. So we have one that's cessation, which is the word cease, which is where some churches and some preachers will teach and some people believe that the gifts of the Spirit died out after the Old Testament church was, was made. So roughly A.D. 75 to A.D. 90, once the local church was established, God didn't have a reason to have any of these spiritual gifts anymore, so they stopped being given. I don't see that in Scripture. So I think that's out of balance. The other side is sensationalism. 
which is when churches say, if somebody isn't getting healed and falling over and we're not speaking in tongues all the time every service, then that church is dead and the Holy Spirit isn't alive. I also think that is out of balance. And, and then, because Paul's having some issues, he also addresses this idea that the people who would speak in tongues would be puffed up would be like, well, I am more mature of, of a believer than you are because I speak in tongues. And as Paul lists all throughout 1 Corinthians, all of the different gifts, he intentionally goes out of his way, go back and read it, that he puts tongues and interpreting of the tongues at the very bottom every single time. Now, I don't think that means it's because they're not powerful, but I think it's because in that setting, they were being elevated above all other spiritual gifts. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. And even at the end here, verse 11, and this is the part, you got to figure out what you think the word of God says. Don't take my word for it. But here's what I read. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines, which would imply that not everybody has access to all of the spiritual gifts but that God gives them because after this he goes into how the different parts of the body of Christ work and that we're all different parts working together. And so he's building this narration of the gifts are just like the bodies of Christ. God gives them to different people for different purposes for unity. Look at what he says when he skips ahead to 14, verse 33. He says, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people saying that if there are spiritual gifts that are competing against each other and out of order and it's chaos, then that is not of God because God is a God of order. And God's word is elevated the highest amongst everything. In the beginning was the... And so what I've seen happen, and I've even been in a church service before, when the preacher is up and he's reading the word of God and somebody, it wasn't this church, somebody in the congregation stood up and started speaking in the spirit. And the preacher said, I need you to sit down because I'm reading the word of God. And God would never bring something that would distract as I'm reading the word of God. That is not of God. Sit down. And I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is awkward. But we're out of balance. God is a God of order. Look at nature. Look at your body. Look how people are born and they grow and they die. Look at the food chain. Look at the ecosystem. Look at seasons. God is a God of order. Now, the Holy Spirit is involved in that. This is what I get from reading Scripture. I, I went to a restaurant one time and I was starving. I believe my kids would call it they're hangry. And I finally get my plate. I remember it like it was yesterday. And, and I go to grab the salt, chicken fried steak and eggs with gravy dumped all over it and some biscuits and some grits and, oh my goodness. And, and I took the salt and I went to go, you know, put a little salt on there and somebody unscrewed the lid and just barely set it on there. So when I went to put the salt on, the whole thing dumped all over. At that point, I have a decision to make. Do I tell the waiter and have them bring me another one and wait about 20 minutes when I'm hangry? Or do I just try to scrape some of it off and eat it? So I did the first one. I just scraped it all off. 
No, I did the second one. I scraped it all off and I ate it and it was absolutely disgusting. Why? Because I was way out of balance on the salt that I put on there. And so what happened is, could something still bring me nourishment if I ate it? Yes. But it wasn't a pleasurable experience and I wouldn't go tell people, you gotta order a chicken fried steak with tons of salt dumped on top. It's glorious. It's the same way when we are out of balance in our behavior and worship. Can it still bring you spiritual sustenance? Yes. But if someone comes in that doesn't regularly go to that restaurant, it will leave a bad taste in their mouth and they may misinterpret what the whole point of this is. So I want to end it with this. Paul ends 1 Corinthians. So next week we're going to wrap it up with 2 Corinthians. Paul ends, ends it in chapter 16, giving them confidence, like speaking fatherly to them, saying, you got it, you got it. And I want you to hear this. 16 verse 13. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. Be courageous and stand firm. That's Paul. Let the words of Paul echo in this place. I know it's not easy, but God never called Christians to do easy things. He said, pick up your cross and follow me, not pick up your comfort and follow me. But let the words of Paul echo. My, my, my kids were telling me, like, we have some friends in the neighborhood, and, like, they cuss, and they watch stuff on YouTube they're not supposed to, and I see them kind of mistreating people, and we're just not going to talk to them anymore. And I'm like, no, 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 you're going you're gonna to talk to them. But, but we're not going to act like them. And I know it's hard, but we're called to love broken people. We're called to love hurting people, hurt people, hurt people, and we're called to love them, called to serve them. And so what I told my kids is the same verse. Be on guard, be aware, stand firm, be courageous, and do everything in love. That's issue number four, imbalance of 1 Corinthians. Would you stand with me, church? What we're going to do is we're going to pray together as a body of believers, and then our band is going to come up. Y'all can come up now, and they're going to end at one of my favorite songs. I think you'll like it, too. I can actually still hear my, the voice of my grandfather singing this song, uh, and I think it'll be a great way for us to remind ourselves where we were, who we are, and what our purpose is. Our purpose is to win the world for Jesus, and our purpose in this setting the center of the chiastic structure is to give glory to God and worship God. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that your word never returns void. I thank you for our time today, God. I thank you for the young families that you've brought to this church and for the families that were represented on the stage. I thank you, God, that you're not asking us to change the world, but you're asking us to be a part of the story of you changing the world, God. I thank you that you pursue people. May we have the same priorities of you, God. Your priority is always people, God. As we go out through the week, as we go to our places of work, if we go to our neighborhoods, our schools, our friends, may we be reminded that we are here to love hurting and broken people, God. I love you. I praise you. And I would do anything for you. You know I would. And all God's people say, amen. Let's sing together one more.
If God spoke to you in any way during the course of this message, we want to hear about it. Reach out to us at centerpointtn.com. You can partner with us. You can send us a message. We'd love to connect with you.